Good morning, Central Baptist Church family, and good morning to you two who are joining us for this live stream. We thank God for His Word and His Word that continues to speak to us each and every day. And as we come this morning to um, study and hear His Word, we are in Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, verse... 20 up until verse 35 Mark chapter 3 verse 20 up until verse 35 so this will be um, we'll cover the rest of chapter 3 today and then we'll continue we're making uh, good progress in the gospel according to Mark um, but the goal is not just to make good progress the goal is to be um, transformed by what we hear and may God use his word to transform us to shape us and to um, draw us into Christ likeness. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 20 to 35. The um, title for this uh, morning sermon is Jesus, Liar, Lunatic, or Lord? With a question mark. Jesus, Liar, Lunatic, or Lord? With a question mark. Now, the Gospel of Mark, um, as, as, as we will see today, uh, presents to us a question. But before we do that, um, I want us to take this time and present it to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Lord, thank you for uh, this time that we get to spend together in your word. Indeed, your word speaks to us, it sanctifies us. It is your word of truth. May, as we draw near to you, may you shape us and may you show us Christ in your word. May our hearts uh, draw near to you. Our minds understand your truth. Our will be conformed to your will. Glorify yourself in our lives. May we grow deeper and deeper in love and in submission to you. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. As I said, that the Gospel of Mark puts an eternal question before us. And this question comes from the lips of Jesus himself. Um, in, in Mark, the heart of the Gospel of Mark is when Jesus now asked his disciples in chapter 8, who do you say that I am? Uh, as you think about this question and you think about the answers that have been given throughout history, there has been many, many answers that have been given to answer this question. But only one answer is sufficient for salvation. Some say that Jesus was simply a great teacher and nothing more. Some say he was simply a great moral example of how to live and nothing more. And I think these things are true of Jesus, right? Jesus is a great teacher and a great moral example. But there's a problem with thinking that he's only a good teacher and only a moral example. You see, the problem is that Jesus claimed to be more than just a teacher and more than just an example. Jesus actually claimed to be God. C.S. Lewis says, C.S. Lewis um, says that because Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, 
there are only three reasonable responses to Jesus. You can say that he's a liar. He may have claimed to be the son of God, but he was lying. And maybe he was possessed by a demon. You can say that he's a lunatic, right? He may have thought he was the son of God, but he was just a crazy man. You can say that he's Lord. He is, in fact, the Christ, the, the son of God. I want to quote a selection from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis that brings this point out. I think it's helpful for us this morning. This is what it says. C.S. Lewis writes, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really silly things that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the only thing we mustn't say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But don't let us come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral, te- a great human teacher. He hasn't left that open to us. He didn't intend to. And close quote. Who do you say that I am? That's the, ch- the question Jesus is putting before us this morning. Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? Open your Bibles, as I said, to Mark chapter 3. In our passage this morning, we'll see that the religious leaders would agree with C.S. Lewis. They, they, they recognize that a man who said and did the sort of things Jesus said, did, uh, 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 who, who said the, the things that Jesus said and did, couldn't be reduced to just a great teacher. They, they, they say, according to them, he's lying about his identity as the son of God. They say he's the devil of hell, and his family also calls him a lunatic. In both cases, they are trying to control Jesus. They are trying to put him in their box. They, they don't acknowledge him as Lord, and they certainly don't fall at his feet and submit to him as Lord. There are many responses to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? But according to Jesus, there is only one that is acceptable to him. There's only one acceptable answer. That's to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and, and submit to him as Lord. We, we can't reduce Jesus to who we want him to be. Look at Mark chapter 3, verse 20. We'll read from verse 20 up until verse 35, the end of Mark chapter 3. I read from the ESV, follow me as we read God's word. Then he went home and the crowd gathered around again. The the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them, uh, he called to them and said to them in parables, 
How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen against us, has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men, whatever and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But it is guilty, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he is an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God. To divide our time this morning, I want to look at three responses to Jesus. They are seen in the three groups of people in this passage. First, we'll look at the scribes in verses 22 to 30. They basically say Jesus is a liar. Then we'll look at Jesus' family. In verses 20 and 21, and verse 31 and verse 32, they say Jesus is a lunatic. And finally, we look at Jesus' disciples in verses 33 and 35. They say essentially that Jesus, uh, they essentially say that Jesus is Lord. It's interesting, each of the three groups give a response to Jesus. But Jesus also gives a response to each of them. So after we, we look at the response of each group, We'll also look at Jesus' response to them. Jesus' response to each group will serve as my three main points. I will pray that we, and I pray that we, 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 we will all come to see Jesus more clearly for who he really is and respond appropriately to him. So first of all, let's look at the response of the scribes to Jesus. They say that Jesus is a liar, and we see this in verses 22 to verse 30. In the first few chapters of Mark, Jesus' reputation continues to grow as he heals the sick and casts out demons. In our passage last week, if you remember, we saw enormous crowds gather around Jesus for healing and exorcism. Those crowds continue to grow and to gather around Jesus. And as more and more people encounter Jesus, the word about him spreads. Word has even arrived at Jerusalem, so a delegation of scribes comes from Jerusalem and confronts Jesus. The scribes can't deny that Jesus has power over sickness and, and power to cast out demons. They say uh, they, 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 they've seen it with their own eyes. Now, now, now they are in a pickle because Jesus is using his power over sickness and demons to, 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 to make a point here. Jesus claims to be God. He claims he has power to forgive sins. And he's backing this claim by healing the sick and casting out demons. 
They can't deny his power to cast out demons, but they refuse that he is God. And so they offer an alternate explanation. He is not casting out demons because he's God. He's casting out demons because he has a demon, if you look at verse 30. Not only that, they say he's casting out demons because he's possessed by the prince of demons, Beelzebub. That is Satan. They are unwilling to say Jesus is Lord. They are unwilling to say that his work is the work of God. So they say that he's possessed by Satan and he's doing the work of Satan. This sounds crazy and and Jesus shows them that it's crazy, right? But before we look at Jesus' response to the scribes, there's a point that that must be made here. One, One pastor put it this way. He says, the closer we get to a truth that we don't want to believe, the harder we try to find an alternate uh, explanation for it. The closer that we get to a truth that we don't want to believe, the harder we try to find an alternative explanation. It would seem much easier to just acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is Lord. But if you don't want to believe that, you're going to have to try really hard to find an alternative explanation. They don't believe he's casting out demons because he's God. The, the scribes think that Jesus is a liar. He's not God. So they say that he's possessed by Satan. Jesus goes on to show them their faulty logic. He uses two parables here. The first parable, we see it in verse 23 to verse 26. He says it would be crazy for Satan to cast out Satan. If, if he did, his house would be divided and weakened. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. So it's ridiculous to think that Jesus would be casting out demons by the prince of demons. Jesus shoots holes in the scribes' logic in his first parable. Jesus isn't dividing a house, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to show who he is. And that brings us to the second parable in verse 27. Jesus says that no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. What does this parable mean? Jesus is showing us who he really is. As we've already seen in the book of Mark, Jesus is God's king. He is the son of God. In in Jesus, the the, the kingdom of God is at hand. And God's kingdom is over Satan's kingdom. God's kingdom overthrows Satan's kingdom. Satan in this parable is the strong man. But Jesus is stronger than Satan. And Jesus has come to bind Satan. Why? Why is this the case? So he can plunder Satan's goods? What this means is that Jesus has come to free captives from the clutches of Satan. Why do I say this? Well, this parable would have certainly brought to mind of the original readers a familiar passage from Isaiah. This is Isaiah 40, 49, verse 24 and 25. And this is what it says. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives, from a, uh, uh, captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken 
and the prey of the tyrant be rescued. For I will contend for those who contend with you, and I will save your children. Jesus is not possessed by Satan. Jesus is not dividing Satan's house. Jesus came to conquer Satan's house. He came to take captives away from Satan. He came to rescue the children of God. Jesus is able to bind Satan and deliver the children of God because he is Lord. He's able. As Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 to 15 says, through his death to destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to a lifelong slavery. The scribes have responded to Jesus. They think he's a liar. They don't think he's Lord. They, they think he's possessed by Satan. So Jesus shows us that he is Lord, even Lord over Satan. But he doesn't stop there. Jesus also gives a response to the scribes here. Jesus goes on to say that what the scribes are doing is unforgivable. Look at verses 28 and verse 30 to verse 30. He says, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. There's a great irony in this passage. The scribes accuse Jesus of having an unclean spirit in verse 30. But Jesus is actually anointed with the Holy Spirit. As we see in Jesus' baptism, when you remember Mark chapter 1 verse 10, all of his work flows from the Holy Spirit. Everything that he does flows from the Holy Spirit. But, but the scribes refuse to believe Jesus' work is anointed by the Holy Spirit. So they blaspheme the Holy Spirit by accusing Jesus of having an unclean spirit. They are stubbornly and consistently rejecting Jesus as Lord. They do not believe that he is God's Savior. But there's a problem with this, isn't there? Now those who willing, uh, willfully rejecting Jesus as Lord are not forgiven. But those who stubbornly and consistently reject the truth about Jesus are guilty of blasphemy against the Spirit. Or those who, who that know the gospel and deliberately reject the gospel cannot be saved. That, that's Jesus' response to those who call him a liar. All other sins can be forgiven. And those who receive forgiveness of sins through Jesus also receive eternal life. But those who reject Jesus commit the sin that can't be forgiven. They commit the sin that leads to eternal death. Rejecting Jesus is the eternal sin because it's, the, it's, it's only through Jesus that we can have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Some of you may be wondering if you've committed the eternal sin. Or maybe you're wondering if one of your family members, one of your loved ones, have committed the eternal sin. Well, if you're worried about it, I have a comfort for you. You you probably wouldn't be worried about committing the unforgivable sin if you've actually committed it. You see, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is hardness to the gospel and the Holy Spirit. It's a hardness that doesn't care about rejecting Jesus. So if you're worried about it, 
it probably means you do not care. If you're, not, if you're worried about it, it probably means you do care about rejecting Jesus. Take heart, right? If you aren't rejecting Jesus now, Jesus offers grace to you. Grace that is greater than all our sin. And as for your family members, I don't think this passage necessarily says that someone who rejects Jesus today is beyond hope tomorrow. <coughs> think about Paul and his conversion, right? He, he, he was surely in the same group as the scribes. And I think it's plain that as long as anyone rejects Jesus, that they won't have forgiveness or eternal life. But that doesn't mean it's too late for your loved ones that reject Jesus today. If someone would stop reject, re- rejecting Jesus in the future and turn toward him in faith, I believe they will be forgiven. They will be forgiven. Now let's look at the second response to Jesus in our passage here. That the response of Jesus' family. They say Jesus is a lunatic. In verse 21, we are told that Jesus' family went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. The, the, the word seized there is, is normally used in mark of those who are hostile towards Jesus and are trying to have their way with him. Jesus' family thinks that he's crazy, and so they are trying to take over. In verse 31, verse 32, we are told, His mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And, 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 and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Again, the word seek in verse 32 is normally used in Mark in a negative light. Let me give you a few examples. The chief priests seek a way to destroy Jesus in 11, chapter 11, verse 18. The religious leaders seek to arrest Jesus in chapter 12, verse 12, and chapter 14, verse 1. Judas seeks to, bestro- to, to betray Jesus in chapter 14, verse 11. The chief priests seek testimony against Jesus in chapter 14, verse 55. What does what all of this um, add up to? What's the picture that Mark is painting here? You see, Jesus' family is trying to take control of Jesus. And ironically, they don't, un- they don't yet understand that he has control over all things. You-, you can't control the Lord over sickness, the Lord over Satan, the Lord over sin, the Lord over creation. It, it doesn't matter who you are. You-, you don't get to put Jesus in a box and do with him as you will. Many people are, are willing to accept Jesus as a good teacher and an example. But when you start saying, Jesus is God, and he came to pay the penalty for sins, and he's the only way to God, then the game changes. That's when most people would say, let's not get carried away with all that crazy talk. Many people want to put Jesus in a box. They want to control him. They, 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 they create him in their own image. And for people who want to maintain control, the Jesus of the Bible will always be seen as a lunatic. There's a significant challenge with people who want to maintain control of Jesus. Those who, who, who try to control Jesus 
and in the family of God. That's Jesus' response to his family who thinks he's a lunatic. In verse 31 and verse 35, we are given a picture of what it means to be a member of the family of God. We are given a picture of what it means to be an insider. It's an interesting picture here. Notice in verse 31, we are told that Jesus' family is standing outside the house. And there's a crowd inside the house. Mark is making a point here. Something other than flesh and blood is required for salvation. Jesus, um, and, and just because his mother and, and brothers were part of his family, doesn't mean that they had an inside track with Jesus. His family is on the outside trying to control him, and his disciples are on the inside sitting around him. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus makes a similar point. Pedigree won't save you. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a religious leader. It doesn't even matter if you are Jesus' own flesh and blood. Pedigree won't get you in the, on the inside with Jesus. The, the point still stands for us today, right? You can't bank on the faith of someone else. You, that, that won't get you into a relationship with Jesus. That won't save you. Until you place faith in Jesus Christ and, and, and surrender to him as Lord, you'll remain lost. In fact, let me say this as well. Being in a church like CBC that preaches the gospel won't save you. You must trust Christ personally. Being, a Christian, being in a Christian family won't save you. You must make your faith your own. In other words, God doesn't have grandparents. Uh, God doesn't have grandchildren, right? He doesn't have grandchildren. You can't rely on the faith of your parents and say, because my parents are Christians, that means I'm on the inside as well. That's not possible. You must make your faith your own as well. You must personally believe in Jesus Christ, personally walk with Jesus Christ. Jesus' family thinks that he's crazy, so they want to put him in a box. As long as they do, they remain outside. They, they are not actually a part of the family of God. Or, or, only those who do the will of God are in the family of God. And that brings us to our third response in our passage. This is the response of Jesus' disciples. They essentially say, Jesus is Lord. They say, Jesus is Lord. Look at verse 35, verse 33 to verse 35. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister, and mother. You've heard it said, there's nothing thicker than blood. That is to mean, there's nothing stronger than family bond. But here Jesus teaches us that there is something thicker than blood. Those who sit around Jesus and do the will of God are part of the family of God. 
In other words, those who submit to Jesus as Lord are in the family of God. If you want to be on the inside with Jesus, you must submit to him as Lord. You must sit at his feet and do the will of God. Those who are, who, who are inside are those who are sitting at the feet of Christ and doing the will of God. Who are these people sitting around Jesus? And what does it mean to do the will of God? This crowd is certainly made up of Jesus' disciples who responded to his call in verse 13. It may be made up of others, but I'm, certainly, I'm certain that it included his disciples. Why do I say this? Well, because they are sitting around Jesus. This is a posture of a disciple. The context makes it clear here. In verse 13 to verse 14, we see what true disciples do. They respond to the call of Jesus. They submit to his authority. When you look at verse 13, then they are with him. And they are sent out by him. When you look at verse 14, the, 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 the crowd that's gathered around Jesus is with him. They are sitting at his feet. This would be the posture of a disciple in the first century Judaism. This is the posture of submission to Jesus. They are ready to do the will of God. And that's, that, that makes them the family of God. The scribes called Jesus a liar and reject him as Lord. His family calls him a lunatic. They try to control him, but the disciples are sitting around him. They are with him. They've assumed a posture that is ready to do his will. They've received him as Lord. In verse 31, there's an interesting play of words here. Jesus' family came and standing on the outside, they sent to him and called him. We've already seen that they are trying to control Jesus. This is an, ex- an example of how not to respond to Jesus. And I think this is an example of an explicit contrast to the right response to Jesus in verse 13 and verse 14. Where Jesus gathers his disciples. Look at verse um, 13. There we are told that Jesus called them. Do you see the contrast here? Jesus' family is trying to exercise control over Jesus and the Lord of the universe. They call him and send for him. His disciples are under the control of the Lord. They are called and are sent by him. What about you? What about you? We we know those who willfully reject Jesus as Lord are not forgiven. And we know that those who try to control Jesus are not in the family of God. Only those who submit to Jesus as Lord are in the family of God. Have you submitted your life to Jesus as Lord? You see, Jesus is king. And with him, he brought the kingdom of God. And the only adequate response, as we've seen in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, is to repent and believe the gospel. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ for forgiveness of sins. Turn from controlling your own life and turn to Christ as Lord. That's the response, the right response to Jesus. But it's not 
a one-time thing. Disciples are called to a lifetime of submitting to Jesus as Lord. So what does that look like? Right? I, I think we are, for, we are, we are given a, an adequate picture in our text this morning. The disciples sat around Jesus and were ready to obey the will of God. We too need to sit around Jesus and be ready to obey the will of God. Before we can, we can obey the will of God, we need to know what the will of God is. And that involves sitting around Jesus. A lot of people spend a lot of time wondering what God's will is for their lives. You see, if we are ready, if we, 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 if we already, if we want to know the will of God, we must realize that we, we already have access to so much of God's will in His Word. We, we don't have to wait for some dream. We don't have to wait for some vision. God has revealed His will in His Word. If we are going to be disciples who obey everything about Jesus, uh, that Jesus commands, we need to know what Jesus commands. And that knowledge comes through God's word. So we must sit at his feet through time in the word and time in prayer. You can't submit to Jesus as Lord without time in his word and time in prayer. That's where we learn the will of God. But knowing the will of God is not enough. We also have to obey the will of God. Those who are part of God's family do the will of God. They say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They say, not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus is Lord over all things. We've learned that much today. And if that is true, we must submit to him in all things. This is the only right response to Jesus. You can call him a liar and reject him as Lord. But those who reject him are not forgiven. You can call him a lunatic and try to control him. But those who try to control him are not in the family of God. Only those who submit to him as Lord are in the family of God. Let's go back to that question, the, the central question of the gospel according to Mark. Who do you say that Jesus is? That's the question Jesus is asking you this morning. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? But the only rightful response to Jesus is to acknowledge him as Lord. To acknowledge what he says about himself and submit to the will of God for our lives. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you. We thank you that we have Jesus as Lord in our lives. Help us, Lord, by the Holy Spirit to submit to him, to learn from him, and to be ready to obey his commands. Help us, Father, to be a people that please you, a people that honor you. Lord, 
there are many that have not submitted to the will of the Lord. There are many that are continuously rejecting him. And so we pray for them that as they hear your word through um, this broadcast, through listening to it, through watching it, we pray that you may convict them, bring them to yourself, that they may bow the knee and submit to, to Jesus as Lord and commit their lives to him. In Jesus' blessed name we pray this. Amen.